Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. This is Carla Unseth. I know it's been a while since I've posted a new podcast, so I'm sorry that it's taken a while. Of course, it was the holiday season, and then we are getting ready to go to Africa. We're leaving in just a short time. So I wasn't able to get a podcast out like I wanted, and actually I was hoping to have this podcast and then one more wrapping up our series on the overview of the Bible. So I think that in order to get them both out before we leave, I'm going to sort of stick them together. So we're going to take a really quick look at the book of Revelation. I had hoped to look at it a little bit more in depth, but I just won't have the time to do the research for that. So if that's something that interests you, please let me know. And then maybe either while we're in Africa or after we get back, I will be able to do that, do a little bit more on the book of Revelation. So if you have been following along, we have been telling the story of the Bible, how the whole Bible fits together as one story. And now we are looking at the New Testament. And we've reached the part where the early church is spreading from the Jews and out to the Gentile world. So last time we talked about the first part of the book of Acts. And that was when early believers were Jews in Jerusalem. These young believers were learning what it means to live in in light of a solution to the sin problem but a a solution that's not fully realized yet. And they're also learning how to live in community. And then they're learning what it means for God's plan to be for the whole world, not just for the Jews. So today we're going to talk about that, how the church spreads beyond just Israel and out to other areas. So we will look at the rest of the book of Acts. We'll look at Paul's missionary journeys into Asia Minor and Greece and even on to Rome. And then we will also look at the letters that were written during that time. And then we'll take a brief look at Revelation and how the story ends. So if you'll remember, we ended at the end of Acts chapter 11, where the disciples had discovered that there was this small church beginning to grow in Antioch. And Antioch was north of Israel in Syria. And so at that point, most of most Christians, most believers in Jesus were Jews. So this was a great discovery for the early church. And so Paul and Barnabas went there and they lived in Antioch for a year to help strengthen and grow this church. After this, they returned to Jerusalem, but then they were commissioned to go out again. So they, they sailed from there to Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. So actually, if you can imagine where Antioch is, north of Israel, Cyprus is pretty much just west of Antioch, and it's south of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So it's not all the way over by Greece. It's kind of right in the edge of the Mediterranean Sea there. So from there, they went north into Asia Minor, and they visited uh, multiple different cities 
in that peninsula that's now modern-day Turkey. So in these cities, they often started by preaching at a Jewish synagogue. They would go in, they would tell the story about how Christ completed God's plan in the Old Testament. And when they told the story, of course, some Jews believed, but there were often Jews who opposed them and tried to get them in trouble. And when this happened, they would move from the synagogue and they would go out and they would find other other people, not necessarily Jews, Gentiles, and they would preach the message to them. And those people often received the news with joy. So they were going out and they were bringing the message to both Jews and to Gentiles. That did cause some problems because it meant that the church had to blend Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians into one body. And previous to that, really Jews and Gentiles didn't mix together at all. So you had the Jews where they weren't necessarily, this wasn't a new religion for them. It was the fulfillment of what they already had been believing and living. To them, it didn't change or invalidate the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was symbolized by circumcision. Instead, it fulfilled the law of Moses. So they still felt like a person should be circumcised to show that they are part of this covenant. The Gentiles, though, came from a different perspective. They hadn't ever been part of this old covenant. So the question was, did they have to do that now? Was it important for Gentile believers to essentially become Jews, to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses? So this became a big question. And so Paul and Barnabas traveled back to Jerusalem to ask the leaders of the church for the answers to these questions. And this was really a pivotal point in the early church. It would help to determine how people became Christians. And not only that, but also how Jews and Gentiles could form one united body of believers. These discussions are found in Acts 15 as the different leaders in the church at that time discussed the question. So Paul and Barnabas gave their input, but they didn't give the final word. So it was some of the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem who actually finally and ultimately decided that they wouldn't require the Gentile believers to be circumcised or to follow the law of Moses. And one of the reasons they decided this was that God had already given the Gentiles the Holy Spirit, even before they had done those things. And they didn't want to make it so difficult for Gentiles to believe. They understand that the law had been a burden to Israel. And so even though the law was good and reflects God's holiness, they didn't want Gentiles to be burdened by the law. But at the same time, they did have to mix together and eat together and form one body. So there were a few laws that they did ask the Gentiles to follow. And it looks like that the, the reason for these is so that they could fellowship together. So they asked them to abstain from eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, that from eating meat that has been strangled or meat with blood in it. So those would all help so that they could eat together and not be eating things that were going to offend each other, essentially. And the other thing they asked was that they abstain from sexual immorality. And again, this is something that is repeated multiple times throughout the Bible. Sexual immorality is a, is a serious sin, and it also allowed them to live in unity with each other. So here, now we have membership in the church no longer based on ethnicity or based on the law, but rather on the work of Christ. So this really is a pivotal moment in 
the, the early church. So with this information, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to go out again. But this time they have a disagreement on who they should take with them as a companion. Barnabas wants to take John Mark, but on the last journey, he left them partway through. So Paul doesn't really want to take him. He wants to take someone else. And it's such a disagreement that in the end, they part ways. Paul goes with a different man named Silas, and they take Timothy as a companion. And Barnabas goes off with John Mark, and we don't hear much more about Barnabas's story. Instead, we follow Paul. They go back through some of the cities that they visited on the first journey in Asia Minor, but then they expand into Greece as well. They have a lot of the same experiences. They start out in the synagogue preaching to Jews. Some of the Jews reject them. They have Gentiles who come to faith, and they also face persecution from the Jews, from those who don't want them to preach. They face violent mobs. They're put in prison. They're beaten on various occasions. So you can find a lot of these stories of the second journey in Acts 16 and 17. And eventually they return to Antioch. But they can't stay still, so from there, they go out again on a third journey, and these stories are found in Acts 19 through 20. And on this journey, they go through many of the same cities, again, strengthening the churches that they started on the second journey. They travel through Asia Minor and Greece. There are many great conversions. They perform miracles. They face riots and persecution. And the last church on this journey is Ephesus. And when he's at Ephesus, he he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to go on to Jerusalem. And the Ephesian church leaders are filled with dismay because they're afraid for his life, essentially. They're afraid that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed. And he actually feels this same fear. So it says in chapter 20, verse 22 through 24, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So, Paul understood that prison and hardships were coming, but he knew that this is where God has, had called him. This was the task God had given to him, and so he was going to do it no matter what. So, in the rest of Acts, starting in chapter 21, we find Paul's journey back to Jerusalem and then on to Rome and the many experiences he has. So, when he goes to Jerusalem, he is a- arrested. And again, you can read the stories. There are so many stories of the crazy things that happen while he's arrested in Jerusalem. But because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. So that means that he must go to Rome to appear before Caesar. So throughout all of the things that happen to Paul while he's in Jerusalem and even as he goes on, it's just amazing to me that he maintains his witness every chance he gets, he preaches about Jesus. And he really has this amazing ability to hit to the heart of what will speak to people. And of course, they don't always want to hear it. And so that's why a lot of things happen to him. But he he doesn't hold back and he really knows well what is going to reach people. So eventually he reaches Rome and he continues to preach there, and that brings the gospel all the way into Italy. 
So the Bible doesn't actually tell us what happens to Paul, but some early historians in that time tell us that Paul is eventually beheaded, probably by Nero after the burning of Rome. And of course, that was blamed on the Christians. And so that could have been some retaliation there. So that ends what's recorded in the Bible about the spread of the early church. But that's obviously not the end of the Bible and not the end of the story. So following Acts are 21 letters. And these letters are written during a lot of the things that are happening during the book of Acts. And they're written by various church leaders to the young church as it grows. So I just want to add here that as a Bible translator, I've had several people ask me, why do we need the Bible? The early church didn't have the Bible yet. It wasn't canonized, or that means that all the books weren't chosen and arranged until about 393 AD at a council of church elders. So, so why do we need it when these early Christians didn't have it? Well, first of all, that's not really true. The early church did have a Bible, and that was the Old Testament. Those were the sacred Jewish scriptures. Those tell us, they, they form that foundation for who God is and who we are. I mean, as we have seen in this whole series on the Bible, they tell the story about humans sin and the problem of sin entering the world and God's plan of salvation. So beyond that, so they had the Old Testament foundation, but beyond that, they had these letters. And even though these letters weren't officially part of the Bible yet, the early church recognized that God was speaking through these authors. And so they read these letters, they passed them around. They didn't just keep it at one church. They would copy the letter and send it to other churches so that everyone could see these letters. And so that was the basis of their belief. And these letters, they had two purposes. First of all, they taught early believers how to live as Christians. So this was a completely new thing. It was living in light of the fact that the sin problem has been solved, but also in light of the fact that this solution hasn't been totally realized yet. So what does that mean for how we live with each other? How do we live together with other believers? And then how do we live before others who don't believe? So these letters helped people to begin to apply that, see the answer and apply it to their lives. And not only that, but these letters also made the connection that believers needed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there, there are so many themes in the Old Testament that the New Testament, these letters, show how the themes are worked out. So, for example, we've talked about in, in the Old Testament, one of the big themes is slavery and then redemption, God's rescue from slavery. So, one book specifically, I mean, these themes are woven throughout the letters, but specifically we look at the book of Romans and we really see this theme of slavery and redemption played out. As another example, we've seen the theme of priesthood that in the Old Testament, they needed to have a priest who could mediate between God and man. And so in the New Testament, if you look specifically at the book of Hebrews, you can see this idea of Christ as the priest between God and man, who has made it possible for God and man to relate to each other. Again, woven throughout all of these letters, but the book of Hebrews is one specifically. 
Another theme in the Old Testament is the king, the, the idea of kingship. So at one point, the Israelites ask for a king and they want to be like other nations. But I also think there's a feeling of if we can just have a king to lead us, we can follow the law. Maybe we, maybe we can finally do it. But the kings can never quite do it, right? They ultimately become self-centered. They don't uphold the law themselves. So they can't be regulated into obedience. So there's this idea that we need a perfect king. And that, again, is found in Jesus. And Christ's kingship, again, woven throughout the letters, but it's finally demonstrated in the book of Revelation. But before we look at Revelation, so we'll go on and we'll look just briefly at Revelation. But before we do that, I want to pause and just recognize that this is our place in the story of the Bible. So we have Acts, we have the early church, we have these letters giving us the connections between the Old and the New Testament and inviting us into the story and then also teaching us how to live as believers, how to live in light of the solution to the sin problem, but in light of a solution that hasn't been fully realized. A lot of people like to say the already but not yet. And so here we are and we are the church. And so we continue to need these these letters to teach us how to live, how to live in the already but not yet, how to live in community, how to live as believers before others who don't believe. So even though our setting looks different than the early church, the story of the Bible is continuing right now through us. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. It doesn't end and say, now you continue the story. It comes back and it tells us the end of the story. It gives us a glimpse into the future and into the time when Jesus is reigning as the king, when the sin problem is finally completely solved, where there's not only the solution, but the solution has been fully realized, um, where we're returning to the peace and the perfection from the Garden of Eden. And it's even a better peace and perfection because God is with us. God is living with his people. So all of this is found in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is an apocalypse, which we tend to think means the end of the world, but actually it means to uncover or make known. And so it's showing that final conclusion of the whole story, how all the themes are wrapped together and the world returns to that perfect peace and harmony when God again lives with us as humans. And this is where we really see this theme of kingship. God is king. God finally defeats all his enemies and everyone bows before him and as the world is created to be, as people are created to do. So the book of Revelation is long and can be a little bit confusing and even a little bit scary because of all the imagery that's used in it. So eventually what I'd like to do is be able to look at some of the different ways that people interpret this. But I think when we're looking at the whole storyline, we don't want to get too bogged down by those details because the purpose of Revelation is to show that Christ is king. So Beth Moore uses Revelation 17, 14 as, this, as the theme verse for Revelation, and I really like that. And it says, These nations will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. 
So in other words, Revelation shows the final battle and the ultimate victory of the Lamb, and those who are with him are victorious as well. So Revelation is a book of victory. And at the end of the book of Revelation, things return to peace. There's a kingdom where God reigns. There's no evil, no death, no sadness. And not only are there none of those things, but they aren't even possible. God will have completely defeated sin and death. It won't even be possible anymore. So are you longing for peace? Are you longing for wrongs to be made right? It is possible and it will happen when Christ is king. And if you have accepted Jesus' death and resurrection, then you will be there. You will be in that heavenly kingdom with all your sins gone and defeated, all your shame taken forever, all your tears turned into joy. What a glorious day. Well, thank you for sticking with me through this podcast. I know this one's a little longer than usual because I wanted to get Revelation in there on the end. And if you are interested in getting a more in-depth look at the book of Revelation and some of the different views people have in Revelation, let me know. And I'll try to do one podcast or even a series just on that in the future. But for now, I wanted you to see how Revelation concludes the story of the Bible, um, wraps everything up and brings us back to that place of peace and perfection. So thank you so much for joining me for Building a Bridge to God's Word and for listening along to this story of the Bible. I really do hope that it's helped you to make these connections through the Bible and to see how the whole story fits together. So we are headed to Africa, and I'm really hoping that I can continue the podcast while we're there. I'm not sure exactly what it will be about, but I'm sure we'll have lots of ideas as we see what life and ministry is like there. So please keep tuning in. Feel free to let me know if there's anything specific you'd like to hear about. And I will see you again next time on Building a Bridge to God's Word. <music>